Hey guys, it's Pete Mundo. Thanks so much for downloading this week's radio show that we flip into a podcast form, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. I want to add this. We're brought to you by betnow.eu. Use the promo code HEARTLAND for a 100% sign-up bonus when you deposit with them. I did it. I hope you will as well. Those guys have been great to us. They have a great side, a good operation, and it helps us. You know, We are as grassroots as it gets. There's no big-time backer behind us, no big-time company, and it's through partnerships with BetNow and otherwise that allows us to grow and expand and to bring you guys more content. So please do consider that and check them out, betnow.eu, promo code HEARTLAND when you deposit. And also, please leave us a rating and a review. I appreciate that, and I'll send you a free koozie if you do it. Just email me, PeteMundo at heartlandcollegesports.com a picture of your screenshot and your review, send me your address, and I will get that koozie in the mail. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy the show. Third and goal at the three, and Iowa State moved at the snap. Skyler Thompson to the goal line. Touchdown. I can feel it coming on now as the music plays. Taking shots with the night out. He's at the Baylor 35, the 30, the 25, the 20. It's a foot race to the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. He goes again. David Sills with a 53-yard touchdown reception. We're going all night long, everybody And the Cyclones win it. They have knocked off the number four TCU Hard Frogs. This is not some mirage. When the sun goes down, stars come out. It's a they just kept trying to catch him, and he just kept running away from him. It's 81 yards for McCluskey on the grab. Locked it down the middle for Rodney. It's caught at the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. It's a touchdown! Oh, so did anything at all, anything happen in the Big 12 this past week? Yeah, I don't think anything did, right? Not a, not a single thing took place in this conference over the past several days. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We appreciate you joining us. We are your independent digital media outlet for the Big 12 conference. No ties to the conference. We can say whatever we want. Uh, it's hurt us sometimes, but I think it's the best way to do things, best way to do business. So if you're joining us on the radio show or the podcast, we appreciate that. And thanks so much for being a part of it. So let's get right into this past week in the conference and the story of the week, which of course is Mike Stoops getting canned. And the rumors are flying all over the place. Was it the president, the new president in the mix, uh, James Gallagher? Was he the reason that Mike Stoops was fired? Was he basically getting too many phone calls from wealthy oil boosters who said, we're sick of Mike, get him out of there. And Gallagher's facing a billion-dollar budget deficit and does not want to tick off his big money guys. Is that the reason? Did Lincoln Riley just finally have enough of Mike Stoops' defenses letting down this football program over the past several years? What's the reasoning behind it? A lot of rumors. Is it because Mike Stoops was not getting along with the players? Did he scream Curtis Bolton out of the locker room at halftime? I mean, all these rumors are swirling all over the place, and we don't have an answer for it. Well, let's get to the source. Here's what Lincoln Riley had to say during the Big 12 teleconference on Monday about the firing of Mike Stoops, and then I'll react to it and give you my thoughts after you hear from Lincoln Riley in the Big 12 teleconference this week. 
more of a gut feeling that this was the appropriate response right now, uh, that we more than anything needed a different voice in that room. And uh, I just felt like in my gut that's what this team in this moment you know, needed right now. And we still have a very, very good football team and uh, make a chance to do a lot of special things. Mike's a big part in the way this team was built, the success that this program's had for a long, long time. You know, this never comes together because of one person, you know. Head coaches and coordinators and quarterbacks, you know, always get the lion's share of the credit when things go good and the blame when things go bad. And that's, that's part of the business. We get it. You know, we understand it. We're not new to it. But we also, within these walls, we know it's uh, – that do things well, it takes a lot of people. When things don't go well, it's rarely just because of one person, and it certainly wasn't here. It's There's a lot of people that uh, have got to do a better job, uh, me being at the top of that list. So there you have Lincoln Riley after the firing of Mike Stoops earlier this week on the Big 12 teleconference, and he says, you know, it's not only one person, it was a gut decision, we needed a new voice. And here's the problem for Oklahoma football. That defense has needed a new voice for at least two years. The time to get rid of Mike Stoops would have been last year when Bob Stoops retired. And I know Lincoln Riley was in a very difficult spot. I don't envy the spot that Lincoln Riley was in when, you know, he gets hired by Bob Stoops at 30-some-odd years old. What was he, 32 years old? The guy gives him a break of a lifetime as the offensive coordinator of the Oklahoma Sooners. He walks into a situation with Baker Mayfield as his starting quarterback. He lights the Big 12 up. Uh, and then Bob Stoops says, I'm going to retire at 55 years old, and you're going to be the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, and you are quite possibly set for the rest of your life. I realize it's difficult to fire that guy's brother, especially when you first get the job. It was not on Lincoln Riley to get rid of Mike Stoops last season. He couldn't do it. But that would have been a time for the Stoops family to potentially sit down and say, Mike, you know, listen, if it's not going to work, now's the time to go. And maybe the pride of Mike said, listen, I'm going to figure this out. We're going to get this straightened out. So you gave him a year. But after that Georgia game, maybe still Lincoln Riley did not think he had the clout to get rid of Mike. That's entirely possible, and I could respect that. Still a young guy, maybe still feels like, hey, this is still Bob's team based on who's on the team. I got to get at least a couple of seasons under my belt before I can make a move like this. But with the disaster that was last weekend against Texas, the timing was right. You got the bye week this week. It was time to move on. That Texas offense, and here's the deal with Texas. They're a good team. But when you give up 48 points to that offense that has not looked that good in two years under Tom Herman and scored 10 points the week before against Kansas State, you're asking to get fired. Mike Stoops' defenses have held this team back from winning a national championship. At the very least, it's held them back from reaching the national championship game, notably last season against Georgia. So the excuses are gone for Mike Stoops, and they've been gone for a very long time. This guy is more in five-star, four- and five-star players than does the offensive side of the ball, and he's done nothing with that, absolutely nothing. And you can't sell me in the whole, oh, we're a bend but don't break. This is the Big 12. Teams are going to score points on you. Uh, at some point, that line wears thin 
because you have by far the most talent on both sides of the ball as anybody in the conference, and you've done nothing with it, absolutely nothing with it. So it was time for Mike Stoops to go. But how it was handled and the timing and the rumors and the drama surrounding it, very un-OU-like. I don't know if this would have happened under David Bourne. You know, you have that new regime in town, and it's no longer the Bourne and Castiglione Stoops mix. Now you have... Uh, Gallagly at president, you still have Castiglione and you have Lincoln Riley. And yes, Bourne and Stoops are still in the conversation of what goes on at OU, but two of those three are gone. So it's a different regime, a different environment than it was just a couple of years ago for Oklahoma. So I don't know how much that played a role in how this went down and the, the messiness of it all. I mean, apparently Mike Stoops said, you know what, I'll resign after the game. And Lincoln Riley said no, and then the next day he let him go anyway. That's what Dean Blevins at News 9 reported. So I, th- there's a million rumors out there as to how this went down, why it went down, but we can all agree it wasn't a smooth exit. It really wasn't, and that's that's un-OU-like. Now, I think, and I wrote about this on heartlandcollegesports.com, that Bill Snyder— I'm not going to say that Kansas State can learn from this and how it deals with Bill Snyder, but I think there are parallels to the situation. You know, you have a guy who was the defensive coordinator at OU who was really good during his first stint here before he got the head coaching job at Arizona. And he came back and he stunk. He, he just stunk. And he's been bad for a couple of years, and nobody but the fans have been willing to admit it. And if we're being fair, Mike Stoops kept his job longer than he should because of his last name. If Mike Stoops was Bob Smith, he would have been fired at least a year ago. And nobody in Norman that had any type of power or had a voice to the media inside that inner circle wanted to say it. So then you end up with this messy situation where you got to fire the guy midseason when this team can still reach a college football playoff. You have a Heisman contender at quarterback, a messy exit after they get uh, beat by Texas in their biggest rivalry game of the year. That's ugly. And Kansas State's going through a similar thing with Bill Snyder. And K-State fans, I'm not comparing Mike Stoops to Bill Snyder. I'm not. Get that through your heads. Don't look at this and say, oh, you're saying Mike Stoops is Bill Snyder? He's not half the guy Bill Snyder is and what Bill Snyder's done for Manhattan. No, but the parallels are similar because there's ego, there's nepotism, and there's money involved here. Bill Snyder clearly is not going anywhere until his son gets the job or he's six feet under. One of those two is going to happen for Bill Snyder to not be on the sidelines for Kansas State. And Kansas State has been beholden to Bill Snyder, and I respect the fact that they have given this guy a lot of leeway. He has saved that football program. He did it 30 years ago. He did it again a few years back. Uh, He's put time, he's put money back into the university, back into this community, and you respect the hell out of him for it. But if we're being fair, Kansas State will be favored in one more game this season. That's against Kansas. They may very well go 3-9 and this year. And there will be very little reason to believe that that's going to improve drastically next year. Now, I know a lot of the players right now are sophomores and juniors, but the talent is simply not there with this team. And the un-Bill Snyder-esque way this team plays with uh, turnovers 
and special teams mistakes and penalties, things that Bill Snyder teams never had, are concerning. And it ties into what happened with Mike Stoops because if you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, here's a coach that hung around too long because of his last name, because of ego, because of his ties to his brother and the whole thing. Well, that's kind of what's going on there at Kansas State except on a much bigger level. And somebody, whether it's the power brokers and the money side, uh, whether it is, I, I mean, I highly doubt the AD president are going to go this route. You know, I, I just, I don't see it happening at Kansas State. I don't. But somebody has got to step up behind the scenes and say, we're not going to let this coach, for all the great things he's done for this program and this university, we're not going to let him hold the place hostage. You know, think about it. This is the only th- only thing that I can think of off the top of my head in big business where a coach can supersede the good of the institution or the football program. This would never happen at a major corporation. It would never happen in the NFL or the NBA or any other pro sport, not to this level that it happens in college, and it happens with guys like Paterno and Bowden, and now what's going on uh, with Bill Snyder. College football and college basketball are unique like that. And for some reason, we let it slide. Like, Coach, you gave us 30 years. We paid you a hell of a lot of money for it. You've been rewarded very handsomely. Your son's gotten into the business out of it. And we appreciate everything you've done. And we've paid you for your services, and we've taken care of you thanks to your services. But you don't get to just decide what goes on here for the next several years. I'm sorry, you don't. And it feels like Mike Stoops held the OU defense hostage. And on a larger level, you know, Bill Snyder's got the whole football program hostage. If this team wins four games, you know, that'll be a success based on how they played so far and who's left on the schedule. So there are a lot of reasons to put these two stories together. And Kansas State can learn a thing or two based on what has unraveled in Norman over the past week. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, it was a very big week for the Big 12, even though a couple of teams didn't play. I'm concerned about one team, though. One team in the Big 12 is concerning me. And it's a team that could have a big season. And I got to get into the uh, purdiness. Yes, you like that play on words? The purdiness that was Iowa State last week. That and much more coming up on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So if I'm being honest, I am actually a little bit concerned about what's going on with the West Virginia Mountaineers. Not because the talent level concerns me in any way. It's more just that they haven't put it together yet. I just it hasn't been done. And I know that, you know, we're going to sit here and say, well, when they need to, they'll do it. But here's the thing. You know, we're almost halfway through the season, and it's like, when are you going to put together that complete game? When is it going to happen? I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Be sure to check us out. You know, I'm a little annoyed because I had West Virginia minus the 27.5 points last week, and I'm not going to lie, it bothered me. Okay, it did. But to be fair... The Mountaineers should have been up 42-0 at halftime. Wilger threw three interceptions in that game against Kansas last week, and they were partially his fault, but also partially the fault of Jake Spavital, who 
some of that play calling down by the goal line is fairly questionable. It is. It was not utilizing the Mountaineers' talents to its best abilities. Let's just put it that way. You know, I, he's he's going pass, run, pass. On the run, he loses four yards. And then he's trying to squeeze it in a tight window on a slant route from the six-yard line. I, You know, roll out Greer. Give yourself a couple of options. Utilize the corner of the end zones. Trying to fit it in a window and double coverage on a on a slant route from the six. I, I don't understand it. I really don't. And if you just look at West Virginia to date, yes, they're a very good team. I mean, I like everything that this team has offensively. I think they have really good defensive speed. But you can point to every game and basically say, well, yeah, you know, there were some problems here. You know, I mean, Tennessee, think of a bit of a slow start. Same thing with Kansas State, even though they blew them out. You know, Bill Snyder gave them that gift going for it on fourth and one from midfield that made no sense. That got the ball rolling there. And Texas Tech, they got shut out in the second half, and Kansas was way the hell closer than it ever should have been. So you're following this team, and let's be honest, the easiest part of its schedule is basically done. Uh, you look to November, it's a gauntlet. For the Mountaineers, they go to Texas. They're home against TCU in Stillwater, which might be one of their easier games left, actually. And then it's against Oklahoma. And this game this weekend against Iowa State, now that they have a little more life to them, thanks to Brock Purdy, is a fascinating game all of a sudden. You know, before Brock Purdy, I would have said West Virginia wins by a couple of touchdowns. But with the way that offense looked last week with a really good defense, I think this game is going to be much closer than people believe it's going to be. But I'm just sitting here, and Dana Holgerson says, you know, we'll just take the win and go home. You know, we'll take the home win and get out of here. Well, Coach, I get it. I understand you'll take a conference win any way you can get them. But at some point, you got to sit here and be a little bit concerned, which is why sometimes I wonder, as much as I like Dana Holgerson, and I think he's a perfect fit for West Virginia, is he a championship coach? I mean, let's be fair. Does he have those intangibles that you want in a championship coach? He has yet to prove that he does. Now, in fairness, a lot of guys haven't proven that they have it, and I think they're championship coaches or have the ability to be championship coaches. But kind of that lack of days, "Ah, you know, take the win and go home, and that's kind of Dana Holgerson to a T. But it's like, dude, you know, Let's let's at least have a real conversation here about some of the issues this team had on Saturday and has had over the first month and a half of the season. And the best litmus test for this team would have been the NC State game, and that was the one that was canceled, which is really disappointing because that would have told us what this team could potentially be all about. I think there's an enormous amount of talent there. But whether or not that means that they can win a Big 12 championship, it's a whole other story. It is. And I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this team, but this game this weekend in Ames is going to be very telling for uh, what the future holds for the rest of the season for the West Virginia Mountaineers. It, it, it really is, and I'm fascinated by it. I am. Now, for the Texas Longhorns, I know we spent earlier in the show focused mostly on Bob Stoops. Hey, let's give Texas some credit, though, should we? You know, three top 25 wins this season, and I think Texas is back. I really do. I know people are upset with me that I said that, but this is not, you know, 2015 when they beat OU. They were 1-4 going into that game. Not the case here. I, I firmly believe that the Longhorns are in a very good situation, and uh, do I think that they are going to 
run the table? No, I, I don't think they're going to do that because Tom Herman's teams, they play up and they play down. And they're going to have a stinker here sometime over the next couple of weeks. I don't know when. I don't know if it's this weekend against Baylor and, you know, they're coming down from last week's high. If it's at Texas Tech in November, if it's against Iowa State at home in November, I don't know when it's going to happen. But I know that they are not going to run the table, which means uh, Texas with two losses and the Big 12 champion is not going to get into the college football playoff. It's not. Right now, the best odds for the Big 12 is West Virginia running the table or even Oklahoma running the table from here on out if Texas holds its own. Oklahoma made the college football playoff back in 2015, uh, running the table after they lost to Texas, and that was without a Big 12 championship game. The thing for OU, though, is now they are going to have to win every game the rest of the season and then have to beat probably either Texas or Oklahoma again, or excuse me, Texas or West Virginia again in the Big 12 championship game in AT&T Stadium. That's what's going to have to happen. Oh, you can do it, but the Big 12's chances of making the college football playoff took a huge hit on Saturday with that Texas win. Now, if Texas was undefeated and hadn't lost that stinker to Maryland, which they never should have lost, well, then Texas could have had a slip up here or there, and they'd be in the top five right now. But that didn't happen. They screwed the pooch again in that opening weekend game against Maryland, and now there's no room for error. But I really don't think it's going to matter because I think Texas is going to have a slip-up here at some point. I do. Uh, I really believe that as good as they are, they're not that good. They're just not there yet. They're not. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly. Coming up, let's... Preview this weekend's games. Let's get to that and much more right here. Heartland College Sports Weekly. So since the uh, Jayhawks are off this week, let's have a little fun with this, all right? Let's have a little fun with KU. I know it's always tough for Kansas fans, but I finally I finally figured out who Coach Beatty sounds like. I'll get to that here in a second. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. we got a few minutes left here. And I want to just, we'll get some game previews, but I want to give you my thoughts here. Listen to David Beatty. You know, I've been hearing Coach Beatty now for four years, basically talk about how much his team blows. But I always say to myself, he sounds like somebody. And I couldn't pinpoint who. But this soundbite from the Big 12 teleconference kind of tipped me off, and I realized who it is. You know what? That, that kid is a super, super kid. I don't know that many guys could have gotten themselves ready to even be available like he did. And it just speaks to the, to the, to the uh, volume of which kind of work he puts in. So is that David Beatty or is that Bill Clinton? Somebody answered the question for me. I'm telling you, the guy, he sounds just like Bill Clinton. It's amazing to me. Coach Beatty and Bill Clinton are two peas in a pod. No, not in terms of their character. I know that's not the case. David Beatty is ten times the man Bill Clinton will ever be. Make it a hundred if you want. Make it a thousand for all I care. But uh, the cadence, uh, it just it just sounds a lot like Bill Clinton, and I got a good laugh out of that. I did. So there's your uh, Kansas Jayhawks recap of the week. <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, you look at this weekend's slate of games, and uh, a couple of ones to keep an eye on. First off, I am intrigued very much by Kansas State and Oklahoma State because the loser of this game, the fan base might just try to burn the whole place down. 
Oklahoma State fans are really upset, especially after that loss last week to Iowa State. The team is now 1-2 in the Big 12. They're 4-2 overall. Doesn't that Boise State win feel like a lifetime ago when we were praising Taylor Cornelius and the offense and everything else? I mean, and we're praising Jim Knowles. What a great hire. Yeah, since then, they played three Big 12 games. They've allowed at least 40 points in two of those three. So it has not been what we thought it was going to be you know, just four weeks ago when they blew out Boise State by 23 points. But it's intriguing because Kansas State is a mess. Oklahoma State is also not in good shape. The offensive line's a disaster. And Kansas State's defensive line, I think, has gotten a little bit better and finally kind of playing up to what we thought it was going to be. But I still think Oklahoma State takes care of business in this game because the Cowboys are home. And Stillwater, I think, is a solid home environment. I don't think Stillwater gets enough credit for being a difficult home environment and a difficult place to play. So I think Oklahoma State does get it back on track, and I just don't see how uh, this Kansas State team takes advantage of what's been a mediocre Oklahoma State defense, and I also don't see how it takes advantage of what's been a struggle on offensive line because uh, Kansas State's secondary has been very weak at times, it just has been, and this is going to allow someone like Taylor Cornelius to just get it up there, throw it up high, let his guys like Tylen Wallace and let his guys like Tyron Johnson just go up there and grab it. Let him do it. And I think they're going to do that to success here uh, on Saturday. So I'm pretty confident in Oklahoma State getting a win. I think it'll be closer than people believe. I think we're looking at something along the lines of 35-24, something like that, that'll uh, get it done for Oklahoma State. So I, I do like the Cowboys. I do like them bouncing back. But it, it'll be more intriguing than maybe we thought it was going to be a couple weeks back. Uh, Texas and Baylor, this is interesting because Texas has played so many emotional games over the past month. They got the USC game. TCU has had their number on the road in Manhattan. And then Oklahoma getting the big win last week. Do they take their foot off the pedal at all? Is there a little bit of, uh, not lackadaisical nature, but you see this sometimes, a letdown game. Is Texas due for one of those after ripping off five straight wins and three top 25 victories in those five wins? It's entirely possible. You know that Baylor wants nothing more than to beat Texas. They desperately want to do that. Here's the thing. Texas wants to run the ball, and Baylor can't stop the run. So uh, that bodes very well for this Texas Longhorns team because what they're really good at and what they want to do, Baylor can't stop. I mean, Kansas State had, what, 300 rushing yards last week against the Bears in Waco, even though the Bears got the win. Uh, Baylor's improving, and it's, in, it's so interesting to me about Baylor. The fan base right now is so split. That was an embarrassing showing last weekend against Kansas State. I thought the stadium looked like it was half empty on TV. And I talked to a couple of people who were there, and they said, yeah, it wasn't good. And there's a couple of theories here. First off, the team won one game last year, and that's what the crowd is reflecting. But you're playing Kansas State. It's early October, so you know the weather's going to be good. It's a winnable game. How are Baylor fans not filling up that stadium and supporting their guys who, once again, those guys either stayed through the craziness of the past couple of years, did not transfer, did not leave, or they came in and they trusted Matt Rule and they trusted his staff, and the fans should be supporting those guys.
You know, think about Baylor. Look at the standings right now. You know Baylor's tied for second place in the Big 12? West Virginia, Texas are 3-0. and Oklahoma and Baylor are 2-1. and Everybody else is 1-1, one 1-2, and one, one or 0-3. Or oh now, do I think it's going to end that way with Baylor tied for second in the conference? No, I don't. Their schedule has been easier to date. But my goodness, the complaining at a Waco and the lack of enthusiasm in Waco and the questioning of Matt Rule in Waco, I don't get it. I know there's that faction of uh, fans that are like, you know, the old Art Bryles boys that Art did nothing wrong and Art's going to come back with a vengeance and Art got screwed. It's like, get over it, guys. It's not happening. And you should be supporting this team because they deserve your support. They do. And let's see if Baylor can catch Texas sleeping this weekend. I think uh, it's an intriguing possibility. I don't think it'll happen. I think Texas ends up winning this game something along the lines of uh, 38 to 24, 27, something like that, I think is ultimately what happens. But, you know, support your guys if you're a Baylor fan. I don't understand. And speaking of nature and, and game day experience, Texas is getting better. That home field advantage, Tom Herman has put a major emphasis on that, along with Chris Del Conte, the new athletic director who came over from TCU. They have put a major emphasis on making sure that there is a real home field advantage in Austin because if we're being fair, it's been a wine and cheese crowd for a very long time. The program's been down for a decade, and the atmosphere is junk from what I've heard. I'm going to be there at the Texas-West Virginia game the first weekend in November to assess it for myself, but I've heard the game day atmosphere, the crowd has gotten much better so far this season. You hear Tom Herman in the press conferences continue to praise the crowd, praise the fans, and I think that's important because you want to have that environment like what Tom Herman had when he was the uh, offensive coordinator at Ohio State. I think that's important for any program to have something like that going on. Um, so I think that's an underrated game this weekend that is going to be really interesting to follow. Then you've got the game of the weekend in the Big 12, which is Iowa State hosting West Virginia. Uh, Brock Purdy is the man. I mean, this true freshman came in from Arizona, and he just lit it up last weekend for the Cyclones against Oklahoma State. I mean, he shocked the entire Big 12, and it was a fantastic performance. If you didn't see Brock Purdy's numbers, true freshman comes in after one series from Zeb Noland, and he finishes 18-23, 318 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception, and he ran the ball 19 times for 84 yards and one touchdown. Uh, what more do you want out of a true freshman? Uh, unbelievable performance for him. And now Iowa State's at home. They've got a West Virginia team that I don't think has played a full game yet. This is going to be the toughest game for the Mountaineers this season or to date this season. And I, I do believe that West Virginia pulls out a squeaker. But, man, it's going to be close. It is going to be close. The Mountaineers, this is, or excuse me, the Cyclones, this is the kind of game that Matt Campbell has his guys juiced up for. He has them ready for. People are counting them out. They're going up against an undefeated top five team. It rings very similar to what happened at home against TCU last season when the Cyclones shocked the Horn Frogs, who came in undefeated in late October and didn't see it coming. And it was Iowa State getting a big win, their second top five win of the season last year. So I could see a similar thing happening. There's just something about West Virginia that doesn't feel right to me. Uh, the good thing for the Mountaineers is they do have 
the speed on defense to keep up with the dual threat ability of Brock Purdy, and Iowa State's offense has not been great to date. But if Iowa State's defense, and it is, I believe, one of the top two defenses in the Big 12, can keep Will Greer and all those offensive weapons in check, then you better believe, because Will Greer made some mistakes last week. Let's not forget, he threw three interceptions against Kansas. If Iowa State can take advantage, force a couple of key turnovers, they're going to be in it, and they'll be able to pull off the upset. That being said, I'm going to take West Virginia in a close one. I'm going to say final score, Mountaineers 31, Cyclones 28. That's what I think will happen in a very close game here in Ames on Saturday night, and it's going to be a really, really fun one to follow, and I know we'll be here to talk with you about it as well next week. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Please do check us out, heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. We appreciate that. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Thousand country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation now.